Um, for those of us who love Jesus, Good Friday is hard, isn't it? I, um, I think personally sometimes I'd rather skip Good Friday and go straight to Easter. You know, Easter's wonderful, isn't it? Everyone's happy, the kids are high on chocolate, and we get to come together as a church family and just uh, celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive, that he defeated death once and for all. You know, so Easter Sunday is great, but Good Friday is hard. It's unsettling, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable, it moves us in a way that I think sometimes we prefer not to be moved. And as we come face to face with the cross of Christ again, it moves us into this reality where our sin has a consequence. And if I'm being honest with you this evening, sometimes I'd rather not look. But I need to, I think I need to be reminded of the weight of my sin, I think we all need that. And people of course react differently to the cross of Christ, some think it's a story, a, a, a fairy tale told and retold, but ultimately just a story with no real bearing or consequence in our lives. Others think of the cross as a tragedy, that a good man uh, lost his life 2,000 years ago at the hands of the Roman Empire and some um, Jewish religious leaders. There are those who view the cross with disdain, that are incensed, offended even by its message, that to suggest the lifestyle that we lead now could somehow lead to the death of somebody 2,000 years ago. Well, it's just utter lunacy. These are the people that Paul talks about when he says that the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are perishing. And then there's those of us for whom the cross is everything. Those of us who've received rescue and redemption. For those of us whose lives have become defined by this incredible act of love that was made for us on Good Friday. And, and this is me, personally. I love the cross of Christ. But I still find it hard. I still find it hard. And I think partly it's the horror. Partly it's the horror of the cross. After all, it was a truly awful way to die. It was a punishment designed to inflict the most amount of pain and suffering for the longest time possible, a slow and agonizing death which normally came about through asphyxiation. The word excruciating that we have in our language for for intense pain comes from the Latin word which means from the cross. And it was done in a very public way designed to deter others from rebellion. Of course, as we've heard from the the readings this evening, Jesus wasn't just crucified, but he was mocked and he was beaten and he was spat upon and he was whipped. And afterwards, he was forced to carry the instrument of his death through the streets for all to see. But I think the thing that unsettles me the most about the cross is that he endured this pain and suffering for me. This is what Steve read to us at the start. Um, I'm just going to read it in a a different translation again, but Isaiah 53.5 says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus' death was necessary for our salvation, for my salvation. It's a consequence of our rebellion against God, and this, I think, is the hard truth of the cross. I think most of us have an inbuilt sense of justice, don't we? When we see things on the news, when we hear about these terror attacks and children caught up in war, there's a longing inside of us to see these people brought to justice. And we understand that the world is not as it should be, that the world is out of balance. And this is what we call sin, living apart from God's desire, God's will for our lives, behaving in such a way that's contrary to his plan for us. A way that God never intended us to behave. And I think the consequences of sin are all around us. 
not just in the world at large, but in our day-to-day lives. And I think the first thing that we notice in the story is that sin uh, leads to suffering. We know, of course, that Jesus himself never sinned. Um, Later in his life, the Apostle Peter wrote of Jesus that he committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth, and the writer of the Hebrews attests that Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, but never sinned. Nevertheless, we find Jesus suffering in the same way that we do. Let me just give you a few examples from the narrative. Immediately after the Last Supper, Jesus, he just informed his disciples of all that he was going to face, and we find him going to a garden on the Mount of Olives. It's a place where he liked to go and pray. We assume that Jesus went there often, because Luke tells us that whenever he was near Jerusalem, he visited the Mount. And Jesus went there to prepare himself for all that he was about to suffer, and his need was great, perhaps greater than it had ever been before. Luke tells us that he was in such pain and he prayed so sincerely that sweat fell, to the, sweat fell to the ground like drops of blood. And he asked his disciples for one thing, his closest friends to do one thing for him in his time of greatest need. He said, I'm so sad, I feel as though I'm dying. Stay here and keep awake with me. And we read in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 39, that Jesus walked on a little way. He knelt with his face to the ground and prayed, My Father, if it's possible, don't make me suffer by having me drink from the cup, but I'll do what you want, not what I want. And it says he came back and he found his disciples sleeping. And he said to Peter, Couldn't any of you stay awake with me for just one hour? You can hear the pain and the disappointment in his voice, can't you? As he's let down by those he loves the most. And the disciples, they were more interested in their own comfort than in the needs of Jesus. They were selfish. And I'm sure many of us here this evening have experienced that feeling of being let down by those that we're closest to. That feeling of disappointment, that feeling of worthlessness. Or maybe we're like the disciples and we know that we've let people down. Friends and family, we regret actions or selfishness in the face of others' needs. Judas was someone that was led by his own selfish desires. Matthew tells us that he approached the high priest and he said, How much? How much will you give me to betray Jesus? And his selfish ambition led to the betrayal of Jesus. Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver. According to Exodus, this is the price that you pay the owner of a slave if they're accidentally killed. And I'm convinced that Jesus was deeply cut by that betrayal. Hurt by it. And yes, we can argue that it was necessary for Jesus to go to the cross, but it doesn't make the action any less painful. Of course, it wasn't just Judas. Jesus was abandoned by all of his disciples. Every last one of them fled when the Roman guard arrived. Even Peter, who'd previously said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you, is found denying Jesus a short time later. And I expect, again, that many of us here this evening have experienced betrayal. When our trust and our faith in someone has been shattered beyond repair, it's that wound that won't heal. Jesus knows what that's like. After the garden, Jesus was taken to something of a a joke court. Matthew records that the chief priests and the whole council, they wanted to put Jesus to death. So they tried to find people that would tell lies about him. Find those that would lie about him in court. They're so desperate to justify their actions that they seek out these people that will pour slander upon Jesus that would give them some justifiable reason to put him to death. 
And Jesus had worked hard for three years, traveling the region, talking about the kingdom of God, encouraging people to come after him, to find life and life in its fullness. And they did everything to convince people that he was not who he said he was, that he was not worth following, that he was, in fact, a liar. And I imagine that most of us here at one time or another have suffered the consequences of lies. I'm sure we know what it's like to have things said about us, things that besmirch our character, things that drag us down. Maybe some of us, if we're being really honest, have even used lies or variations of the truth to remove people in our way or drag them down. You see, sin has consequences. We're told that the religious leaders, they lie about Jesus because they're jealous. Matthew tells us that as Good Friday begins, Jesus is in front of Pontius Pilate the Roman prefect of Judea, and that Pilate knew the leaders had brought Jesus to him because they were jealous. And they were jealous because Jesus had the love of the people. He commanded their respect and adoration. Last Sunday we talked about him arriving to choruses of hallelujah as they welcome their king. And they didn't like their way of life being threatened. They didn't like what he stood for, who he hung out with, or his apparent lack of respect for their station and authority. And so their jealousy and hate led them to murder. Matthew 12, 14 tells us that they plotted how they might kill him. It was premeditated. I'm sure many of us have felt the effects of jealousy in our lives as well. Jealousy is when we're more interested in other people's blessings than our own. And maybe it's even led us down a dark path. So even though Jesus never sinned, he suffers the consequences of sin with us. He knows what it's like. He understands. The second thing... I think we notice is that sin leads to separation. As I've already mentioned throughout the narrative, Jesus is moved into this position of loneliness, rejected by those closest to him. He met with the twelve for the Passover meal and Judas left. The eleven went to the garden and fell asleep and left when the guard arrived. Peter and John followed at a distance, but they, uh, Peter denies him when he's accused of being a disciple. The only one that Jesus could rely upon was his heavenly Father. As he'd relied upon him through his whole ministry... It says in John that he and the Father are one. But then as we said, Jesus never sinned. He'd never done anything to displease God. On two separate occasions in the Gospel, we find the voice of God saying, This is my Son who I love. With him I am well pleased. Matthew 27 reads that at noon, the sky turned dark and stayed that way until three o'clock. Then about that time, Jesus shouted, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, My God, my God. Why have you deserted me? And as Jesus bore our sin and shame, he came to understand, perhaps for the first time, what it was to be separated from his Father. The words he shouts in Aramaic are the opening words to Psalm 22. It was a popular psalm at the time, and it's a psalm that was written a thousand years before Jesus, and yet appears to speak of the cross in incredible detail. It was originally written by King David at a time when he was surrounded by his enemies, when he felt abandoned by God, It speaks of people mocking him, just as Jesus was mocked. Of his bones being out of joint, his strength failing. It speaks of his mouth being dry. We know that Jesus said on the cross, I thirst. It speaks of his clothes being gambled for, as Jesus' were. And it speaks, it even speaks of his hands and feet being pierced. And I believe that Jesus' experience on the cross led him to identify with that psalm in a way that he never had before. 
I think one of the reasons we need to look at the cross is because we can become comfortable in our sin. We can become complacent with it. And we don't realize the separation that it's causing between us and God. We fail sometimes to notice how far we've moved away from him. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that God made him, that's Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God. And as Jesus experienced the darkness and depravity of our sin on the cross, as he felt the full weight of it, he knew what it was to be out of God's reach. And as we consider our own lives this evening, our own sin, I wonder if we've thought about its impact on our relationship with God. Perhaps you've become aware that you're not as close to God as you once were. Something that's crept into your life that maybe shouldn't be there. The final consequence I think we see in this story is that sin leads to sacrifice. As I said at the start, we all have this inbuilt sense of justice for things to be put right. And in the Passover meal that Jesus shared with the disciples, he spoke about his blood, which will be poured out for them for the forgiveness of sins. And less than 24 hours later, we find Jesus hanging on that blood-soaked cross. There are very few of us that enjoy the sight of blood, especially our own. It tends to warn us that there's something wrong, doesn't it? If we lose too much, we die. I um, walked into an open loft hatch the other day and fell onto my backside. And uh, I knew I was in trouble, I was in pain, and I reached up and I was hoping for dry and lumpy and I got wet and sticky. And uh, I looked and I knew, I knew I'd done something wrong. Thankfully, I'm not too queasy. But blood is serious, isn't it? And in the Old Testament, God institutes blood sacrifices for the forgiveness of sin. The people had to kill a goat and the priest would use the blood on the altar. And it was deeply symbolic, but the point was that the person had a good idea of the seriousness of sin. Roman tells us that the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And the Israelites knew what that looked like. It looked like blood being spilled, life ebbing away. And just as blood left the sacrifice, so... Life leads those of us who remain in sin. And Jesus wants us to treat sin seriously. And this is why we need to spend time at the cross so we can clearly see the suffering, the separation and the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. But here's my final point. And this is the most important one. I realise I should have started with this, but come back to me for a minute. If the cross just showed us the consequences of sin, we wouldn't call today Good Friday. We'd call it Awful Friday. Rubbish Friday. The worst Friday. We need to spend time at the cross of Jesus, not to be reminded of the consequences of sin, but to remember that those consequences have been dealt with once and for all. Jesus has done it. He's won. He's never going back to the cross. Psalm 22, which I mentioned earlier, that Jesus quotes from the cross, it starts in despair, but it ends in victory. The last verse in Psalm 22 is this. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to people yet unborn, he has done it. Or as Jesus says in John 19 on the cross, it is finished. Done, dusted, over, completed. You know, one of the great symbols that we have in the story of the separation between God and man in those days was the temple curtain. The 60-foot-high, four-inch, thick, blue, scarlet and purple veil that was designed to keep people from the Holy of Holies. The presence of God on earth. And as Brad read to us, that when Jesus died, 
the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom. Symbolizing that sin is no longer a barrier between us and the presence of God. Or as Paul puts it in the Romans, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I feel like that deserves a hallelujah or something. (laughs) So this evening I think we have a choice. We have a choice about how we respond to the cross as we come round this communion table. In his first sermon recorded in Acts 2, Peter preaches the cross of Christ and we read in verse 37 that the people who heard it were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? How should we respond to the cross of Christ? And Peter replies very simply, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent means to turn away. Baptized means to die to an old way of life to be cleansed from an old way of life, to live anew, fresh again. This is our response to the cross. It has to be. You know, there were two criminals that were crucified with Jesus, weren't there? The first one looked at the cross with disdain, with scorn. He mocked Jesus. The second one realized that his sin had led him to the cross. And he said to Jesus, remember me. And Jesus responded, today you'll be with me in paradise. He turned to Jesus and he repented. And I don't know what sin there is in your life at the moment. I only know what there is in my life at the moment. Maybe it's something that I mentioned earlier. Maybe it's something else entirely. But maybe this evening God is making you aware of the suffering and the separation that it's causing in your life. But he also wants you to know that the sacrifice has been made. It's done. It's finished. Our sin has got one purpose in our life now. Just one. And that's to bring us back to the victory that was won for us. To bring us back to repentance, that we might continue to live in that freedom. So Good Friday is hard, (laughs) but Good Friday is also good. And don't turn away this evening as we come round this table.